As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. The Bills are going up against the Los Angeles Chargers this weekend. The Chargers are three and seven after a victory over the New York Jets, a close one, but a victory nonetheless. The Bills seven and three, coming off their bye week, and we'll get into the matchup as we kind of get into it. But you know, we we did want to touch on some maybe some bigger picture stuff and and some of the news that has come that have come down uh, this week and, you know, really, if we're recording this on Friday, what happened this morning with uh, with Cody Ford. My name is Joe Biscali. With me, as always, is my podcast co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And Matthew, the big news of the morning was the Bills declaring that Cody Ford, their second-round pick from 2019, the player that they've tried at three different positions now, will be out for the remainder of the season with a knee injury. So uh, that's at least for them in how they will, uh, how they would have probably liked to look at the offensive line and to see exactly how he could fit in over the final six games. This is a blow to some of their future planning for maybe how they wanted to approach the offseason. So, uh, you know, even though he hasn't been playing incredibly well this season it's still a it's still an annoyance for Brandon Bean and company I would say yeah I think there were a lot of questions coming into this week whether or you know what the offensive line would look like in general Um, and this does give you a little bit more clarity but not for the reasons that they want now you know Mm -hmm. they wanted to have the the five guys that they planned on going into the season with healthy across that line and you know a lot has changed since training camp you know Quentin Spain is gone uh now Cody Ford's out for the year there's all sorts of um ambiguity around Mitch Morse and his situation though now sounds like he'll be starting so they have to do a little bit of shuffling here um like you said regardless of how Cody Ford has played he is still a big part of of what they're planning and now uh, yeah, I think this might have more repercussions long-term than short-term because you have to make some decisions about whether Mitch Morse stays on the team. You have to make some decisions about what you're going to do at guard, re-signing John Feliciano, um, you know, figuring out what you have in Ike Bucker, um, figuring out whether Daryl Williams will be back. So beyond 2020, there's now a lot of questions about this offensive line, and, and Cody Ford getting injured just adds another one to the list. Yeah. I, I think for Ford, he, he has been a bit up and down this season. There have been times where I've really liked what, what he's been doing, but it just hasn't, he hasn't put it all together for like a, a full on consistent stretch of the season, let alone a game. So I think for them, what they need to find out about him is if he's going to be a starting piece for them moving forward. And now they're going to have to wait until, training camp next year 
um, to to really get an idea about this. And the the tricky part is, how do you plan for that? Like, um, they're they're strapped to the cap already. They might not have an option here, where they just might have to go into it with Cody Ford and Ike Butker, who's I believe is a restricted free agent, uh, Ryan Bates. And maybe draft someone in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, somewhere in that range, and figure out who your best two starting guards are, and trying to trying to manage it that way. Because I don't think they're going to have the flexibility that they have in previous years with free agent money or what have you. And I don't think that in their minds. Cody Ford has done enough to separate himself to where he is a locked-in starter moving forward. So this is a this is a pretty meaty injury here for for all of those reasons. And uh, I think Ford is is so interesting because this is this is a guy that they thought could be a right tackle for the future for them. It did not go well his first season. I mean, we have talked at length about that, and they were very quick to to move him inside when they found a semblance of an answer, albeit a short-term one in Daryl Williams, because I don't know that you can necessarily justify re-signing Daryl Williams for the type of money he's going to uh, probably command in the offseason. So you move Ford inside because, I mean, everybody saw he, he was not really a fleet of foot for the tackle spot. The guard position, it's been up and down, hit or miss. And you just want to see more consistency. And now they don't have the opportunity. They've tried him at left guard. They've tried him at right guard. Um, I think there was, if he was healthy, I think there was a chance he he could have been back at right guard this week. I mean, there's just all of these different little things about Cody Ford that he has been unable to find a home. And that's been kind of his, the, the story of his career so far. And it's not uh, it's not a point of, Okay, he can't get better because sometimes it just it just takes a while for offensive linemen to really click in and and get it. Uh, but with with Ford, it just just never has really he's never really settled in anywhere. And it, and it seemed like early on in the year they they were you know McDermott was like you know some at some point you need to stop moving a guy. Uh, that's when they put him at, at left guard, and it started to feel like he was he was having uh, he was having some success there. Uh, he really loved playing next to Deion Dawkins. He said they have something good going on over there, but it just it just hasn't been right to a grand degree. So this is a it, it's a bit of a uh, confusing start to his career, I would say. Yeah, and I you know I do think that short term they'll be okay because of the depth that they built. Uh, I think right, like Bucker yeah. has been decent uh, when he's been in there. Brian Winters hasn't been great, but, you know, they have John Feliciano, who they thought was good enough to play over Mitch Morse in Arizona. He, he can play pretty much anywhere on the interior if you need him to. And I do think they have, they've, like you said, with the cap flexibility that they had, they were, over the last couple of years, able to stockpile depth on the offensive line uh, to the point where even a guy like Ryan Bates, who has been promising at times, hasn't really been able to crack the lineup um, even with all the injuries that they've had. So plenty of depth, plenty of, you know, ability to withstand this injury right now, but it does, you know, leave them with some questions going forward. I, you know, part of me thinks that Cody Ford will be in the lineup almost no matter what, because of the lack of flexibility that you talk about, unless they, you know, load up in the draft, but they've, you know, tried to take it slow in the past with with draft picks, particularly on the offensive line. And, you know, a lot of this will depend on where the salary cap is at the end of the mm -hmm. year um, once they, you know, figure out the revenue and, um, you know, settle on where exactly that cap will be. The floor is at $175 million, and with that, they'd have to make a lot of decisions. But, um, you know, based on reports, this is a three- or four-month injury for Cody Ford. So, you know, he should be able to have a, a somewhat normal off season, whatever that looks like for NFL teams this, this spring. So uh, I don't know that he's, you know, out of the picture. And I think he 
probably will benefit from the fact that there's not as much flexibility this offseason because I don't know what type of substantial competition they're going to be able to bring in for him. Uh, you know, are they going to have Daryl Williams back? Uh, is it possible that they try him back at right tackle again? Is it um, possible that he, you know, John Feliciano prices himself out of Buffalo and and there's just a guard spot waiting for Cody Ford? So, um, you know, he like you said, he still has a chance to turn this around and, and improve and be a better player. But, you know, it kind of is a reminder of, you know, the, the decisions that need to be made at some point. Um, you know, you look at Mitch Morse and, and the clear, I would say at this point, pretty clear, uh, lack of conviction that the bills have on Mitch Morse right now. Um, and they can save about 5 million, uh, mm-hmm. on the salary cap by releasing him, but he's not the only one. Um, when you look at it, they are in a spot where, they could save about six million by releasing Mario Addison, about eight million releasing John Brown, seven million with Jerry Hughes, which I don't think they'll do, but an option nonetheless. Uh, six point eight million on Vernon Butler, uh, and about five million on Quentin Jefferson. That's a lot of options. Uh, and yep, and two point two five for Lee Smith. Right. That one. Yeah. As you get farther down the list that uh, there's some, yeah. some like Lee Smith that are, you know, probably pretty easy to figure yeah. out. Um, I mean, even, you know, roughly a million if they were getting desperate with Harrison Phillips, uh, I weirdly enough, as I was going through this, this week, one of the guys that they just absolutely can't get out of is, uh, Star Latulale. So, yeah, you know, know, it's like, um, because of, they would have been able to, if he had played this year, but, yeah, I mean, they could also save a lot of money releasing Micah Hyde, but I don't think that's uh, in the cards. He's right. a very important player to them. But that's a lot of players that you could conceivably move on from and not be devastated by it. But, you know, it does, all this money that they spent or that they are currently spending on the defensive line, the most in football, they could have a completely different-looking defensive line next season. And you know, you could probably say the same thing about the offensive line. So it's a, there's going to be a lot of moving money around. If it's at the floor of $175 million or $100, you know, they, they would have some rollover, so they'd have a little bit more. Their estimated cap space, according to Spot Track, would be about $5 million, and that's before you factor in any possible extensions for – the big three of Milano, Daryl Williams, and John Feliciano. So, you know, part of releasing a Vernon Butler, which looks like a pretty easy move, um, just looking at it on paper, you know, is to make room for one of those contracts. So even with making some of those sacrifices they might have to make this offseason, it does not necessarily open up the freedom to remake the offensive line the way they did the last few years unless they can hit on a low price option like John Feliciano a couple years ago but even those you don't have as many lottery tickets as you had the last couple of years where you could throw throw some money at guys and see what happened and if you hit on a couple like Feliciano um, and Darrell Williams you're good to go you don't have as many of those at your disposal simply because you're going to be under a tighter crunch so they need Ford to turn it around. They need him to get healthy and they need him to be a starter somewhere on this line because it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, it does. And I'm glad you brought up the the salary point because this is the this is the next point of the offensive line discussion. And Morse being a potential cut is I think a bigger possibility than a lot of people might think. Because it's on the table, squarely on the table. Absolutely. When you have uh, the potential to get out of that contract, all the guaranteed money has already been paid for. Basically, all you would owe is the five and a half million to the cap, which was prorated signing bonus money. And so the bills could save just under five million, like you pointed out. So with him, I wonder if it's a case of one or the other in their minds even if it the the salary cap floor 
is higher than than what they've projected. Let's say it's 180 million and they have 10 million in cap space. I still believe that the Bills would probably look at this and say, all right, it's it's one or the other here between Feliciano and Morse because what they value in terms of what they give dollars to and and all those salary cap resources that they have, they value two positions in particular along the offensive line. They value left tackle and they value center. We've seen it twice now with center where they gave Eric Wood a, a really big extension and he ended up having to retire. They gave Mitch Morse a huge free agent contract um, and and set the market at center because they know how important that position is. However, with Morse, because they have the out on him now, I think, I, I don't know that you, you can ask, uh, you could you could sit here and make a, a point to think that the way that they talk about John Feliciano, that they don't believe that he's, uh, or I, I, I completely goofed the way I was going to say that, but... Uh, that they believe that Feliciano is a more important piece to not only their offensive line, but their entire locker room than Mitch Morse. And I mean, the way that they talk about Feliciano, just how that he embodies what they look for in an offensive lineman and and how how important it was to get him back on the field and how he has all this positional flexibility and his relationship with Josh Allen like it's it's not coincidence that they say all of these great things about Feliciano and we don't hear as much about Mitch Morse um so it's like pulling I, teeth when to get right. them to say something complimentary exactly. about Mitch Morse which exactly. is exactly he's a good player I, I think he's the better player but is he the player that they like more? And I think right, right now it doesn't. I don't think that he is. Um, so the, I was I was gonna say. So the point is, they might be in a spot where they have to, in their minds, go with one or the other, and able to, to be able to do all the things that they want to do in the off season, which is likely to re-sign Matt Milano as well. Because if you if you cut Mitch Morse, that frees up five million, and Feliciano, if you get to seven eight million per season. That basically gets you all the way there, and so, um, and you might have to dip into two million of the five million that's that's already there on on the salary cap. But it also helps because that leaves that extra amount for Milano, and you combine that with maybe cutting John Brown, and you get yourself basically where you need to get to, along with Lee Smith, to re-sign Matt Milano, and you don't take apart any piece of that defensive line, which. I'm thinking they'll probably want to run back next year uh, just because they have guys signed to contracts. So it it makes a ton of sense because of how much they value Feliciano. And in order for them to sign him to the money that he probably wants, they're going to have to justify it by having him play a big-time position for them. And in their minds, center is perhaps the biggest-time position along that offensive line. And having Feliciano play there, it's obvious they like him there. Um, and you don't you don't really want to necessarily spend a ton on guard in today's NFL because of how readily replaceable it is, whether in free agency or the draft. Like, for instance, the Bills were uh, maybe two picks away from trading up for Michael Onwenu, who who ends up going to New England and is a great starter for them right in his first year. So because of all those different things, I I think we we might just be in for a okay if if they can get Feliciano signed to a deal Mitch Morse might be done in Buffalo. Yeah, and I I think it's just become more and more clear that they don't have the same conviction they had on him when they signed him. Um, right. Whether that's a coaching thing uh, or a front office thing, um, you know, John Feliciano has a long history with Bobby Johnson, and um, you mentioned just the way that. You know, not just Bobby Johnson, but Sean McDermott and Brian Dable and all all his teammates talk about John Feliciano. It's it's you know he's a a big time leader in that room, and there is probably something to be said. You know, I think Mitch Morse is the better the better center, uh, mm-hmm. you know f- for sure. But there's probably something to be said about you know where's the you know how big is the drop off, um, and you know. Is that drop off worth the savings? Um, now, when you cancel out the savings with signing Feliciano, maybe it's you know it's not really savings in the traditional sense of the word, but 
the drop off and maybe on field talent ability things of that nature with the off the field their type of guy stuff mm-hmm. now it it's a weird situation because like i think mitch morse is a great leader in that room i think he's a guy that um you know he's somebody that you should want in your locker room but he's also like a he's, really good player too and he yeah he's very talented um you can do things on the offensive line that you can't necessarily do with every center because of the way that he moves in space but again you know they're you know the way they talk about him you know speaks volumes so this is going to be an interesting you know they're in a they kind of stumbled into a situation where now they can evaluate both of those guys right and get a feel for Mitch Morse over the the end of the season and not do it while answering questions about why he's not on the field, um, which could have been a possibility depending on how things shaked out. I think he was probably going to start this week regardless, but without making it this sort of open competition, they have, you know, some, some ability to evaluate what this line looks like, but when you look at the contract and, and where it is and you can have the same conversation about a guy like John Brown, the the savings are substantial enough that when, you know, they're throwing up some red flags uh, in terms of, you know, the ambiguity regarding his lineup status, you know, doesn't it doesn't take too many uh, leaps of logic to get to mm-hmm. what you're talking about and his time potentially, um, you know, running out. And here's another thing to consider with Morse's contract. And, you know, I, you, you have to wonder, I mean, just based on, okay, what they're doing this year in relation to what is best for the future. Um, Mitch Morse has a piece of his contract to where uh, 1.3 million and change uh, is guaranteed in 2021 uh, for injury. So if he winds up as a, as a long-term injured player at some point in the season, the Bills are going to owe that additional money to the salary cap uh, because they have to pay it out to him. So that is a factor, a slight factor here, potentially. And I wonder if maybe that was a part of the, the conversation with, um, with not playing him in Arizona. And it's just, it's just really weird all the way around. And we've talked about it a bunch, but... Um, it, it's pretty clear. I think you summed it up best when, when you said they just, it's like pulling teeth to get them to speak with conviction about Mitch Morse, who has been a good starting center for them both years that he's been here this year, he is playing better than he did last year. And now it's looking like potentially his time could be coming at, to an end in Buffalo. It's just, it's just very, I, you know, the, the way that the salary cap has kind of gone down has probably altered their their plans and to me it feels like this is the first time where I can you know I've gotten the feeling that that's that's where that is felt the most if that makes sense like because if before the season if the salary cap for 2021 would have remained the same and they would have had the same increase Mitch Morse is probably here. They probably re-signed John Feliciano to a short-term deal, and and they've they've got this this offensive line that they've built up. But they're going to have to make tough choices, and you just have to wonder if um, you know d- that line of thinking was quickened in their minds just because of what's going on in the world and how it's impacting the NFL. Yeah, and it's gonna you know like I laid out, they have flexibility with making they other do. decisions. So you know that's where. And we've alluded to it and talked about it, and there'll be, you know, probably plenty of time to dive even deeper into it when we figure out what the number is on the salary cap and, you know, where things stand in the off season. But, you know, all those names that I mentioned on the defensive line, um, John Brown, uh, Lee Smith, as you brought up, decisions that have to be made and that, you know, you don't have to cut all of them, but uh, the flexibility to do so creates, um, you know, a different puzzle for building the roster than they've had in the past when they, you know, tore down and fixed the salary cap and then basically had all this money to throw around. Well, now they've thrown it around. Some of it has stuck uh, and been spent well. Some of it has not. And now it's about, you know, acting um, 
we use the word conviction again. Act with conviction on guys that did not work out or guys that you're not sold on and, you know, move in one direction or the other. Uh, I don't know, you know, that they're going to move on from all these guys, but having the flexibility to do so is part of why they structure the contracts the way that they do. And when they signed a lot of these guys, um, not all of them, but when they, they signed a lot of these guys, it was a different world. We did not know exactly how long or how low the salary cap would go, um, how long this would all um, go on and, and how much it would impact the NFL. And so, yeah, they have some of these guys signed to multi-year contracts, but with a, a pretty good out after a year. And in the case of, you know, John Brown and Mitch Morris, it was a completely different world when they signed these guys. So, uh, you know, that's part of why they give themselves the long-term flexibility and they had the ability to, to use extra money in the first few years to get these guys here in the first place. But now, you know, you can't, you can't have it all. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to figure that out, um, you know, this off season as they try to rework things. Yeah. So obviously a critical six games for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, since, since we're here, I think this is a, an interesting way to kind of dice this up and it's a different position, but it it's along the same lines of of what we're talking about, and the the player that they can save the most money on out of anybody going into uh, next year's off season would be if they cut John Brown, and that's a savings of I believe eight point one seven five or eight point one two five one or the other million dollars towards the cap next year, which is absolutely humongous if you are trying to resign two to three of your own of the the big free agents that you have being Milano, Feliciano, and Daryl Williams. I probably land on the idea that they that they won't resign Daryl Williams because maybe he's priced himself out, but you know, never say never. Um, but Brown would be a significant chunk with that, especially if they don't have the the um the uh, I guess the the cap floor if the, if that cap floor doesn't come up at all from 175.9 you're going to need some some substantial savings somewhere. And him being 31 years old in April and him looking a bit slower th- recently and bogged down by injury and the the average uh, average yards per catch coming down the way that it has and the average depth of target coming down the way that it has and his separation not looking as good. I mean, there's a pretty strong case to be made there potentially if you make an emotionless decision. But why I bring this up is because just like with uh, with the final six games for the offensive line, this game upcoming against the Chargers could be a completely decision-making altering one because odds are Gabriel Davis will start in this game against the Chargers. And if Gabriel Davis starts and plays close to 100%, which is what he has done in the past when John Brown has not been available, then he has a giant opportunity to not only have a big game in the short term, but to prove to them that he can be a competent number two to Stefan Diggs and a, and a good option for Josh Allen moving forward. And if he does against a, a Charger secondary that could be without three of the guys that they started the year with, I mean, they will definitely won't have Derwin James, um, who has been out and will continue to be out on IR. They definitely won't have Desmond King, who they traded away to the Titans right before the deadline. And they might not be without their top boundary cornerback, Casey Hayward. So when you have a secondary that's full of young guys and unproven and, and guys that have been picked on, then that's a humongous opportunity for for Allen and Davis to get things going. And if Davis can have a big game, that might be all the Bills need to see to potentially make that decision a little bit easier in their minds. Now, you don't want to disrespect John Brown because he's been he was great last year. He had a really good start to the season again. They really like him and and they love what he has helped shape this offense into and and how he has helped Josh Allen develop. But you can't hang on to the past. That's the whole point about building teams and where teams go wrong and, and all of these different things. And if you, if you can still play and you can manage to chop uh, salary cap room elsewhere, 
then I guess do it. But if you are sensing signs of declining ability for a speed-based receiver and you have the option to save all of that money, then you have to do it, right? Especially in a year like this one. So I think this I think this week is huge for a guy like Gabriel Davis. Yeah, this week and potentially coming weeks. We don't know yeah, just sure. how long John Brown will be out. He didn't practice at all this week, and Sean McDermott said he's taking it day by day and week by week with John Brown. So, you know, every snap that he misses is a chance for Gabriel Davis to show that he can step into that role. Now, he's not John Brown. Um, they're not a one-to-one comparison skill set wise, but that, you know, you don't need John Brown specifically to be uh, your number two boundary receiver. And really this year, their number two receiver has been Cole Beasley. So, you know, having Davis step up, this is where, you know, same conversation about a guy like Ike Bucker, uh, if he gets a chance at any point here in the you know, final part of the season to show what he can do some more. Every evaluation that you get, um, AJ Epinesa, same way, you know, you feel a little bit more comfortable saving the money and it's where the clock starts to tick on these draft picks, right? Like if Gabriel Davis, you know, he's still in year one, you know, same with AJ Epinesa, but the quicker you show the potential they drafted, the quicker they can move on and save money. Uh, That's the best part about draft. That's why draft picks are valued the way that they are. Uh, It's cheap young talent that can replace, you know, these free agents that that were signed to big deals. So, uh, you know, the Gabriel Davis uh, development over the final part of the season will go a long way towards, you know, how comfortable they feel moving on from John Brown because it is a lot of money. Uh, 8.1 million dollars is a game changer on their salary cap. But John Brown has also been a very important player to what they do. The question will be how much do these injuries, knee and ankle, start to sap him of some of the quickness and speed that makes him who he is. He's going to be 31 in the spring. And, mm-hmm. you know, once that speed is gone with John Brown, um, he doesn't have, you know, a lot else that makes him that separates him as a top you know one you know one b to stefan Diggs is one a um it's not that john brown isn't a well-rounded player but the speed is his his differentiator it's what makes him who he is it's what's always made him who he is and not saying that's going to fall off a cliff but even as it starts to decline a little bit um Mm -hmm. you know those types of players tend to drop off quicker than um you know other types of receivers so um they need to feel comfortable uh, with Gabriel Davis or a guy like Isaiah Hodgins who returned to practice this week, uh, or they say, all right, let's take another shot in the draft and, and see what happens and continue adding competition to that spot and sort of replace him by committee. Because I don't think anybody would complain about the weapons around Josh Allen if he has Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and then a combination of Gabriel Davis, Isaiah Hodgins, Isaiah McKenzie, and another draft pick. You know, mm-hmm. th- right now he has an embarrassment of riches at receiver when John Brown is healthy. Um, but even without him and, you know, with a, a different group, would still have a very good uh, cast of receivers to throw to. Stephon Diggs changed that conversation in a big way, and he made John Brown expendable in some ways. Um, certainly he's a big part of the offense, but you can't always have that many players without you know sacrificing something somewhere else and that might be up front uh, in this case right that might be josh allen's pass blocking and i think one thing they've shown or brandon bean has shown is that he's not willing to compromise on protecting the quarterback um he saw what what happened in josh allen's rookie year and wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that would not happen again so if that means he doesn't have john brown but he has you know more help up front i think they would take that trade off Let's also not forget that another factor that could play into the John Brown conversation is that their number one receiver could be looking for a new deal this this offseason, which is a potential game changer that could wind up pushing more money to the wide receiver position. It would probably result in some sort of bump up in, in the amount that they'd have to go to the salary cap 
in 2021 with Diggs. Maybe not a crazy amount just because of how they could structure the deal, but still a likely increase nonetheless if he wants a new contract because he's playing uh, like one of the best receivers in the NFL and he is not paid like one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I, I you have to wonder if that's on the way. And the big point with John Brown and what is coming up here and, and what end up could being is where teams get in trouble the most, you know, without question, is by hanging themselves up in what happened in the past rather than projecting where the players are going in the future. When you are giving contracts and you are uh, keeping players around, you are not saying, okay, this guy was great for us uh, the last couple of years. It is a, how does this player impact this roster this upcoming season? How much of an impact can this player have on this roster in this upcoming season? And do you have an organic replacement to take over that spot if you are without that player? And how much of a drop-off, if there is any, um, will there be from, from player X to player Y? When, I mean, teams get, I mean, it's it's human nature, right? Like you make emotionally based decisions because you you have good relationships with people and you don't want to screw people over and all of those different things. But the NFL is cold and you have to operate in a cold manner in order to get the things you want done to be done. And so I'm not saying that this is absolutely locked in that has to happen. We need to see how John Brown comes back from the injury, if he's able to separate better than he has been over the the Seattle and Arizona game, if he's able to run some uh, downfield routes and get separation against cornerbacks like he hasn't been over the last two weeks, then then maybe this is a bit of a different conversation. But if Gabriel Davis walks in here in the next uh, against the Chargers, and if John Brown's out again and does it again against San Francisco, then this is a uh, a big time topic of conversation heading into the offseason when John Brown is getting to the age that he is. So it, it's just there's a lot of things to consider at wide receiver and like you said, they have an embarrassment of riches at receiver right now. They could afford to lose a guy and still be able to float next year and and be just fine. So th- this is this is a pretty important couple of weeks coming up here for them. Yeah, and the the Stefan Diggs question is one that at some point will have to be answered i know he restructured his contract after the trade but his cap hit right now is the 19th highest for 2021 among wide receivers his base salary is 15th highest among wide receivers for 2021 he's not the 15th best receiver in the nfl he's not the 19th best receiver in the nfl um and you know there's been, uh, there's also, you know, interestingly enough, this times up with when the receiver free agent market is pretty strong heading mm-hmm. into the offseason. So, you know, you've got guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Chris Godwin with expiring contracts who could get paid pretty well. Um, despite the decrease in the salary cap, there's a lot of teams or, or not a lot of teams, but a, enough teams with a ton of money to spend that will snatch up a lot of these players that end up, you know, getting left out because of the salary cap deal. So, uh, you know, that is another piece of the Bills salary cap puzzle. We've we've heard a lot about how happy Stefan Diggs is in Buffalo and I do think he seems really content and and to be enjoying himself here. He's producing better than he ever has in his NFL career. So there's a lot of reasons for him to to want to stay in Buffalo, but you don't take a a humongous haircut uh, or a huge, you know, pay cut for too long. So at some point, that's something that that they might have to address, even though they sort of did uh, before the season. Different conversation after he goes out and, and lights the league on fire. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Um, I, I'm sure people want to discuss the game a little bit, and we're, we're getting deep into off-season talk already. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's turn our attention to the Chargers uh, and this Bills matchup because, you know, the, the Bills are still six games away from that offseason. They're still seven and three and uh, have a pretty good chance at um, A, making the playoffs, B, hosting a playoff game, and C, potentially getting the three seed if all goes their way. I mean, they've only got two teams left on their schedule with winning records, which is kind of ridiculous considering how it looked coming into the season. So this Bills-Chargers game, um, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's very fun because you've got Josh Allen, who's as Matthew Fairburn likes to say, slinging the Duke, um, with conviction. Uh, you have, uh, that's the word of the pod, by the way, conviction. Um, you've got Justin Herbert, who is playing, you know, after watching his past few games on film, like this dude is not playing like a rookie. I mean, he is so much fun to watch and and how he processes things and how he sets defenders up and his accuracy, his his arm, his scrambling ability, like the the quickness he gets the ball away. Like it's it's all there that and it's looking like the Chargers hit an absolute smash home run with with their top 10 pick with this guy, especially with how he's played in his rookie season. But um this could be a game with a ton of points, uh, and we'll we'll get to the prediction in just a bit. But what do you see from this game coming in? Because it, it's it's looking like we're we're going to have another score fest on our hands. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the Bills are going to have they have the defense in place and the the scheme in place to give Justin Herbert a fair amount of trouble. Um, young quarterbacks have struggled against Sean McDermott's defense in the past, and the way they played against Kyler Murray for all but 34 seconds, you know, I think is pretty promising for what they'll do here. Justin Herbert has been exceptional as a rookie. He's mm-hmm. on pace to be, you know, one of the great rookie quarterbacks, uh, have one of the great rookie seasons of any quarterback of all time. He's, he's going to be rookie of the year this year. Yeah, he's. I thought he should have been rookie of the year. He was tracking to be rookie of the year even before Joe Burrow got hurt. And now that Joe Burrow Same. got hurt, he's you know likely uh, a lock there um, for the most part. But we also saw you know him have some rookie moments against the Dolphins. We've seen that, like any young quarterback, there's going to be some things that get thrown at him that he hasn't seen or that that confuse him a bit. And I think the Bills, you know. More so than a few weeks ago, I feel, you know, like the Bills have have it in them as a defense to get to that level, distract this guy. No, they won't have the crowd on their side uh, as they normally would, um, but they will have, you know, they will be in their home stadium. This guy will be traveling from west to east. Um, you know, they've got some things working on their their side, and you know, in that regard. So he's a talented player. They have a lot of talented weapons around him. But I do feel like the Bills can slow him down a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Something about a rookie quarterback against a Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier defense, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't strike me as a time when when Herbert's going to be, you know, lighting up the scoreboard. But you know, could be wrong. He the, he looks really good. Um, I did not. I don't think a lot of people expected him to look this good. And while I think there's questions in LA about Anthony Lynn and you know what his future is. I don't think there should be. And I think the reason there shouldn't be is because of Justin Herbert. Um, You know, if you picked, you know, if you're the GM that picked Justin Herbert and you're the offensive staff that helped him have this year, I don't really care what your record is at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had injuries on the defensive side of the ball. um, 
They've lost a their lot offensive of, line is also a mess. They've lost a lot of close games, which you know has been a characteristic in the Anthony Lynn era. Uh, but I don't know. I, to me, if you're you know building a quarterback the way that they are, uh, it seems like it would be a shame to to pass him off to a different coach. Things are clearly working, uh, and I think Anthony Lynn is a pretty strong offensive mind. Um, he's two and zero against Sean McDermott. But those games were Josh Allen's first start in the NFL and Nathan Peterman's first start in the NFL. So uh, this one will probably be a little bit different, I think. Um, but I'm really curious to see how how Justin Herbert, um, you know, handles the Bills defense, which, while not all the way back, looks a lot better than it did in September. Uh, and, you know, as, as the listeners out there hear Joe gush about um, – Justin Herbert, I, I do feel like we should have full disclosure that he is on Joe's dynasty fantasy football team. So some of that <laughs> that's might not be, the reason why I'm gushing, though. Some of that might be bleeding through the, the same way it did with Chris Carson a few weeks ago. So I, I just have to give the reader, the listeners all the information uh, so that they can listen with full context. Chris Carson is not going to be uh, a part of of the the roster moving too much forward here. But um Joe yeah, has some it, salary cap issues of his own to deal with. <laughs> but uh, I think with with even if I didn't have him on the dynasty squad, uh, I I believe that I, you, you can't look at what he does and and come away and be like, mm, no, I I just don't see it. Like the guy is just playing at an unbelievably high level, and uh, you could look you, at you his have, haircut and say that. However. In True. Fairness. True. If somebody was just looking at Justin Herbert, they could be like, "Well, I don't see it." But watching him play is another story for sure. Yeah, that, that that's true. And he's got some really good weapons in Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry. We'll have to see if if they resign him after he's on his franchise tag deal here. Mike Williams is solid down the field and a go get it type of guy. Um, so they they've got a lot of different little pieces. And Austin Eckler could be coming back. Some point soon, maybe this weekend, maybe not. Um, but but yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of stuff. But their their offensive line is kind of a wreck. Um, but but yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so this game we've got uh, we've got the Bills are favored by five points. Uh, the total of the game is fifty three, which is the third highest as of this point right now on DK Sportsbook, trailing only Chiefs Buccaneers, which is at fifty six. And Raiders Falcons, which is at 53 and a half. So Matthew Fairburn, who wins? Who covers the spread? And what do you have for the total? I feel like we should answer three questions here. Oh, or, go on. well, that is three questions, right? Who wins? Who covers the spread? And what's the total? The fourth question that I'm going to throw in is who would you rather have, Justin Herbert or Josh Allen? Oh, geez. Somebody asked somebody Just asked it in the mailbag. Dropping I a bomb. Right I didn't the shy the away from it. So I I feel like we it's a it's a tough one. Somebody said, would you trade Josh Allen for Justin Herbert? Um, mm. I don't know. Maybe this this game will help us answer that question a little bit more. I think the Bills will win this game. I think they will cover the spread. Um, although I'm not super, I wouldn't you know bet your mortgage on it. Um, but I, I I feel pretty confident that they're going to handle this coming off the bye week. Um, you know, having a home game against the team traveling across the country, a rookie quarterback with, as you mentioned, a beat up offensive line, that's a recipe for, um, you know, this defense cooking up a game plan that can slow these guys down. And for that reason, I'm actually going to go against my advice of always betting the over and and say, I kind of like the, I kind of like the under here. Um, now I'm not going to fault anybody, especially on this holiday weekend to bet the over and, you know, try to have some fun, but um, I have a feeling that it's going to go under because I I think the Bills can slow this offense down. Yeah, um, I, that's that's very much a possibility. 
So 53 uh, is a so high number, you know, that's, it is. that means that, you know, even what 53 and a half. So 30 to 23, the bills win. That's still under. Uh, and that's a lot of points. Um, they also know, hit speaking. 62 with the jets last week. They did, but the jets pass defense is a little bit of a different, uh, yeah, different true. deal than the bills. And that's where, you know, if this were a team that could, you know, run the football, uh, extremely well, you know, and who knows, maybe Austin Eckler makes his triumphant return, but, you know, they've had some some trouble there because of their offensive line. So, I don't know. It, it'll all come down to Herbert. You're kind of betting on Herbert on the over-under, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think I think the Bills should comfortably be able to put up some points here in this game. But, you know, can, can Herbert keep pace to the point where they're going to go over? Um, right. That over, if anybody picked that over uh, in that Cardinals game, um, they – probably at least had, you know, a little bit of a saving grace from the uh, Hail Mary. They were like, well, at least the overhit. But now I have to pick Herbert or, or Josh Allen. And in the mailbag, I said I would take Josh Allen. Um, I would have a hard time trading him because we've seen a bigger pattern of growth, and that makes me a little bit more confident about his floor. Um, but – that's only because we haven't seen that much of Herbert. And so, you know, I don't know. I would not fault anybody for going Herbert. But they have very mm-hmm. similar narratives, right? Came in as guys that people thought were overrated and overhyped. Uh, both go in the top 10. Both big, strong-arm, athletic guys. And um, exceeded expectations in some ways. Not based on their draft slot. You know, they've played like top 10 picks. But based on a lot of the pre-draft conversation about them, they've bucked some of that you know, wisdom, um, about them before the draft. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure who I would take, but I, I would take Josh Allen cause it feels like the safer bet right now, which is a funny thing to say about Josh Allen. Yeah. 100%. Um, it's, it's always funny because I'm sure you listening, you listen to, uh, the athletic NFL show with Robert Mays, uh, like I do. And it's always funny hearing them talk about, um, either Josh Allen or Justin Herbert and be like, all right, those, these guys are going to uh, make a bunch of different teams make terrible decisions moving forward because both Herbert and Allen are big, strong-armed quarterbacks that have a, a small degree of mobility or a certain degree of mobility to them. And, and it, you, people are just going to look for those templates. And uh, even though they're not those guys um, and, you know, they aren't as poised as a rookie as Herbert or they don't have the, the type of growth ability as as Allen but you know just the, the the traits will always reign supreme in the NFL I always find that funny um I'll start with that the that question first I will also take Allen for this because just like what you talked about the ability for growth in certain areas it it makes you wonder like how good he can become because if he's constantly evaluating what he's doing and doesn't kind of lull himself into this this uh, security blanket of this mold of quarterback that he is and that he's constantly looking to improve and the Bills are also constantly helping him improve the way that he is, um, then I think there's there's a potential for him to become even better. Uh, so I, I, I'd probably go with Allen and, um, you know, even though it is a tough call, honestly, with seeing how Herbert has played in, in his his first however many starts he has. I mean, the guy is just he's he has a bunch of potential to become a, a really good player. And it, this answer could be different um by the end of the year, but right now I'll I'll go with Allen. Um as for the game itself, I think this is a potential smash spot for the Bills where you have a lot of different things working into their favor uh from an offensive perspective. The Chargers might not be without Casey Hayward, which would be a humongous loss to this game because that means you have a a suboptimal cornerback covering Stefan Diggs. And it also means you don't really have anybody to check Cole Beasley, uh, certainly not to, to check Gabriel Davis on the outside. And so that's going to help the passing attack. But I think also... This is going to be a week where maybe the Bills are trotting out a bit of a, a more balanced approach. 
uh, because they do want to fix this this running game. And I think this opponent, even though they've had a, a small degree of success against the run, uh, the Jets' running backs tore through them for 4.1 yards per carry last week. And that's the Jets with a really bad offensive line. And they did it with power. Um, LaMichael Pirine had a few really good runs last week where, you know, he, he, he read the defender, you know, did a little jump cut and got to the outside. I think there's a, a, a massive opportunity to, for the Bills to return to their physical run uh, run football, maybe not the entire game, but a more concerted effort than what they've had the last two games and and to attack the, the Chargers in that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Moss is, is uh, leading the backfield this week. So I think there is a lot of opportunity for the Bills. I think they're going to come out strong offensively, score a bunch of points to begin with. Defensively, it's going to be tough with Herbert because he gets the ball out so quickly. Um, I think their best way to get to him will be with the play of Ed Oliver and Quentin Jefferson. There's a couple of matchups that uh, I think can really help swing this in favor to where they're in Herbert's face. And that's against the center, Dan Feeney, and their left guard, Forrest Lamp, who have both struggled. You know, their their tackles also struggle with issue, issues like T. Uh, Sam Tevy on the left tackle struggles with power. Brian Bulaga on the right side. He's been beaten by speed this year. The Jets did a great job um, last week against them in, in getting back there. But the most notable pressure is when it came from right up the middle. And I think Oliver and Jefferson have a big opportunity there. Uh, and then, like you said, McDermott's defenses have always done pretty well against rookie quarterbacks. I think that's probably going to continue with the the secondary being as healthy as they are right now. Um so I'm going to take the Bills to win. I'm going to take the Bills to cover the spread. And I think I'm going to take the over and not in the way that you would think close game. I think the Chargers are going to put together like a couple of just huge garbage time touchdown drives at the end of the game to to hit the over and, and for Justin Herbert to get his stats because at that point they'll just be in prevent mode. I, I'm expecting a really big response this week coming out of the bye for, for the Bills and um, if, if they happen to hit the over from, from the back end of the fourth quarter, then I think that's probably the best way to go about it. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think this is, has all the makings of the bills getting a, uh, a convincing victory, even if the score may not show it. Yeah. I think it, I've felt that way most of the week and this chargers team has played a lot of close games, but. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like one that the Bills are going to let get away. It, it would certainly be cause for concern if they did, but I, I don't think yeah. that's it, – it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. Um, I'd be surprised if they lost this game. And the five-and-a-half spread is a good number because that's, uh, you know, right there in that touchdown range. And the Bills do have a tendency to let teams back in the game in the second half. So uh, I could see I could see it getting pretty interesting. Um you know, mm -hmm. from a betting standpoint at the end of the game. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'd even say 30-23, like I brought up, it's going to be that close to the over-under because mm. um, Vegas always knows. <laughs> I think I in my uh, preview column I put 36-29, and the way that I arrived there was it was 36-21 heading in, then they get a late touchdown and a two-point conversion. Um, but you know, that's, that's just how the brain works. So, so yeah, it, it, either way, I think there are going to be points from the, from a bill's perspective and whether or not the chargers bring it too, uh, we'll see, but the bills have a lot of opportunity here to, to get themselves going, um, in, in many different ways. All right, Matthew Fairburn, um, any sage words of wisdom and fond words of farewell before we, we say goodbye until Sunday. I have none. Um, I, I'm already ashamed of myself for telling people to bet the under, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you can change right now. There's still time. No, I think it's the right move, but I just don't like okay. just don't like saying it out loud. <laughs> don't like advising, you know, anti-fun things like the under. But well, well, there's the there's the sage words of wisdom right there. If if you're gonna bet the under, don't say it out loud. Yeah, just keep it to yourself. Perfect. Nobody wants. Nobody in the room wants to know that you're rooting for no points. <laughs> there's, there's no fun in that no i i agree all right so uh that'll do it for us uh thank you all for listening uh to this episode of the buffalo beat and hey right now 
If you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat, you can get in on our uh, on our Cyber Monday sale to where new subscribers can get in the door to the athletic for one dollar a month for twelve months. That's twelve dollars total for the year. This is an incredible offer and one that we had at some point during the 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 start of the pandemic. It has returned for a very short time. So jump on it right now. Theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. For new subscribers to The Athletic, you get all of our coverage on the Bills. Uh, you can get all John Vogel's coverage on the Sabres and and basically any other team, any other league, fantasy football, fantasy basketball, um, golf, uh, Premier League, uh, you know, really anything you could you want to read at length about, we have over at The Athletic. So be sure to do that. Again, that's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Bee. All right. For Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you after the Bills-Chargers game on Sunday. See you then.